I wish. No, all right. Ladies, I, I, I don't know how this works out, but I've drawn the, the message on the wives like 10 years in a row. I don't know if this is a setup or, or what this is. I have to talk to Pastor E and Ryan about this later, but um, this is literally, I don't know if it's 10 years in a row, but it sure feels like 10 years in a row. But no, uh, like I was telling the guys earlier, I will be as gentle as the text allows. Deal? All right, good. I heard some amens over here. Good. Um, but you know, I've got a lot of, like you, I've got a lot of my own favorite authors and theologians, and among my favorite authors and theologians is D.J. Tanner, and you're going, D.J. Tanner, that sounds familiar. <laughs> D.J. Tanner, also known as Candace Cameron Bure, she is among my favorite authors, and she wrote a book about a year and a half ago called Balancing It All, and in her book, she said that the, the reason her marriage of 17 years has worked so well is because she submits to her husband. Well, people ask her, clarify what you mean by submit to your husband. And she says, well, I submit biblically, like the Bible says, like the Word of God says. Well, oh my goodness, that set off a media firestorm. You may remember it, all the talking heads on all the talk shows, people writing in, people were saying all kinds of crazy things about this idea of biblical submission. One lady even wrote an article in response to Candace Cameron Bure saying that the idea of biblical submission isn't biblical at all. Let me just read a quote from her article. This one gal says, quote, The idea that a man is the head of the home has its roots in secular ancient culture, not in the word of God or his created order of humanity. To which I would say, like Dan Dumas, a good southern boy, said the other day, I beg your pardon, ma'am. Right? Um, The man as the head absolutely has its roots in the word of God and his created order for humanity, humanity, as we're going to see tonight. But if you like some of these people that they just bristled when they heard the word submission. And you're going, why is that? Why does it just grate against me? Matter of fact, I taught a message a few years ago, like I said, because it was a, with women, 10 years ago at least, um, called Lions and Tigers and Submission, oh my, right? <laughs> things that we are afraid of, things that just grate against us, that submissions become the proverbial four-letter word. And if you feel that way, and it still grates against you, Let me show you why that is. Before we even get into Ephesians 5 tonight, let's go all the way back to the beginning to Genesis 3.16. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis 3.16, and I'm going to show you where that stems from, where that feeling stems from. If you know the story, after Adam and Eve had sinned by eating the forbidden fruit, God brought down some curses. First, he brought down a curse for the serpent in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3, then a curse for Eve in verse 16. That's what we're going to look at here in a second, and then one for Adam in verse 17, but in, in Genesis 3.16 says this. He says, to the woman, to Eve, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. And all the moms said, amen, amen right? <laughs> Even with epidurals, I know it's still painful. I've witnessed it three times. So I know how much, well, I, I can't, I'm sorry. I don't know how much it hurts. I see how much it hurts. How about that? Um, then he goes on to say, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over. And you go, well, on the surface, that doesn't sound too bad. My desire will be for my husband, no big deal. Well, let me bring a little more clarity to what, the, what Moses, the writer of Genesis, is trying to say when he says, and your desire will be for your husband. Matter of fact, the New Living Translation and the New English Translation has it a little bit better. They both say it this way. Your desire will be to control your husband. Remember, this is a curse, right? But he will rule over you. And here's where you might say, well, there you go. That's my natural bent. I can't help it. 
My desire, because of the curse, is going to be to control my husband, so I can't help that I feel that way. Well, hold on. Before you say that, not so fast, because what the curse of sin has created, believers are called to correct by living according to God's Spirit, in essence, refusing to scratch the curse-fueled itch to seize control from their husbands. Now, with all that as a background, now let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll look at our passage tonight. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. I'll give you a chance to get there, and then we're going to open in a word of prayer. Ephesians 5, beginning verse 22. With that, let's pray. God, thanks so much for this night. Um, Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. God, help us to remember that these are commandments and not suggestions. Talk to the wives tonight. Talk to the husbands next week, God. And we just need to realize that if we keep things in, in your created order, God, do things your way, things are going to work out so much better. The, one of the reasons this ministry is called Thrive is because we long for couples to thrive in their relationship with you and, and, and with their spouses and with other people within the, uh, within the group, God. But the way we're going to actually thrive is by doing what you've asked us to do. So help us to do that tonight as we study your word, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ephesians 5.22, it says this. Wives, so we know who he's talking to. We know who he's addressing. This is Paul writing. He says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. How countercultural is that passage where we live right here in 2016 in South Orange County, California. Countercultural, but it's biblical. So tonight I want to peel back the layers and see exactly what biblical submission is, what it looks like. But before we see what submission is, let's first look and see what it isn't. See what biblical submission is not. Got three things that we're going to talk about. Number one, biblical submission has nothing to do with your value or your worth as a woman. I'm just going to repeat that. Biblical submission has nothing to do with your value or your worth as a woman. Some of the words used by Candace Cameron Bure's detractors were, these are words, these are quotes. Women that submit in the way she's talking about are minimized. Another person said they're held back. And then finally someone said women in, in this situation are downplayed. Well, we need to look no further than our example of Jesus to see that that's just not true. Just jot down the passage. We don't have time to turn there, but Matthew 26, 39 says that Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. And I think we'd all agree that it'd be heresy to see that Jesus, to say that Jesus is of less value than God the Father. Or that in his submission, he was somehow minimized, held back, or downplayed. We know that's not true. And ladies, if you want to know your value, speaking of Jesus, listen, these are the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 31. Jot that passage down. Jesus said this, he said, he said it to men and women, but since we're talking to the gals tonight, let's look at specifically in the context of wives. Wives aren't two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And he says, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Then he says, fear not, wives, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. We need a homework assignment. <clears throat> And I know, I've been guilty of it too. A lot of times you get a homework assignment from the pulpit and you go, I know I need to do that, I need to do it, but you never get around to it. Please, I'm begging you gals, do this. Either go home tonight and do it, it'll take you less than two minutes, or do it tomorrow during your quiet time, but do it. Turn to, not right now, 
Turn to Psalm 139. I want you to understand your value before a holy God, your value as a woman before God. So read Psalm 139 and just marinate on that and let that speak to you about how much God values you, a woman. So this has nothing to do with your value or your worth as a woman, this idea of submission. That's first. Secondly, submission to your husband, it doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. We're going to look a little bit later on at Sarah. If you know anything about Sarah, we know she was a great example of submission to her husband, Abraham. And let's play a little word association. This is audience participation time. Word association, I'll say a name, you say what comes to mind in one word. If I say Sarah, you would say, somebody raise your hand. Some gal raise your hand, not guys. I said audience participation, but only half of you. Sarah, in the Bible. Godly, that's one. Who else? Dan Roulette, what do you got? Sarah, when you think about Sarah, what do you think of? Yes, she did. Absolutely. What else? A couple I put down. She was beautiful. The Bible talks about being beautiful. We'll talk a little bit about that later on. She was submissive. A lot of different words, but one word you wouldn't think of when you think of Sarah, nobody thinks doormat. When you think of Sarah from the Bible, nobody thinks that because she's not, and you're not. You're not a doormat. That's number two. And finally, number three, being a submissive wife doesn't mean you don't have any input. It's not, you're not called to silent submission, meaning, well, I'll just let my husband make all the decisions. I'll just keep quiet. I won't say a word because that's what God wants for me, just to be quiet. That's not true. If you've been married for any length of time, you probably know that that's not true. That doesn't work well. You absolutely have input. Remember, the marriage relationship is supposed to be a unit. You're supposed to be a team working together. And speaking of a team, I mentioned before that I worked for the fire department. And if there was ever an occupation where you needed to work together as a unit to come together as a team, it's in the fire service. Within our rank structure at our work, I'm currently a fire captain. That means I have, I'm under our subordinate to our assistant chiefs and to our fire chief. But also means I have subordinates. I have an engineer and firefighters that are subordinate to me. I want to show you a picture. A picture up here. That's a fire we went on just a little over two years ago. The, the place was a restaurant. It was called the Great Wall Chinese Restaurant. We got the call at 2 a.m. And we were second in unit. And so they assigned us fire attack. And that's my favorite thing to do on a fire. Go attack the fire. So we're going to do an aggressive interior attack. That was my call. We forced the front doors. You can't see them there, but there's two giant double doors. We forced those, and we're going to go in and put this fire out. Well, we opened the door, myself, my engineer, and three firemen. And, I, and, and I'm in the lead, right? And here we go. Let's go put the fire out. Open the doors, go in. The first floor looked just like this, not a puff of smoke, nothing. Oh, not bad, so let's make our way up the stairs, put this thing out, let's go home. All of a sudden, my engineer, he pats me as hard, he could, hard as he could on the shoulder. He calls me G for Gilmore. He goes, G. He goes, look. He points up. The entire second floor, floor to ceiling, wall to wall, was engulfed in flames. He goes, G, I'm not comfortable with this. And I go, I'm not either. Let's get out of here. We back the line out, and it's a good thing I took in- input from a subordinate Because had I not, right now my name would be on the firefighter's memorial wall in Colorado Springs and my wife wouldn't be in Thrive because she would be a widow unless she got remarried, of course. But uh, what what happened is as soon as we exited the structure, the entire roof came in, all of it. That thing right there, that's after the fact. When the roof came in, it shot flames over 100 feet in the air. It was spectacular to watch, but I thought, oh my. But had I not taken input from a subordinate Five men would have lost their lives that night. Not might have, would have. 
crushed to death, burned to death. They've been horrible. That sounds dramatic, but ladies, no less important the impact that you have from your input with your husbands. It's important. So this has nothing to do with not having input with your husband. You absolutely have input. So that's what submission isn't. But now that we've seen what it isn't, I think it's important that we see what it is. That's why we're here, right? Look again at our passage. We've already read it once, but it's short, so let's just read it again. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Wives, again, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. <clears throat> New Testament written in Greek. The word that for submit in Greek is the word hupotasso, H-U-P, H-U-P-O-T-A-S-S-O, hupotasso. Let me read you the definition of the Greek word hupotasso. Quote, to voluntarily submit to, to yield to another's advice, and to place one's power under the authority of another. Verse 24 says we're to do that, the church is to do that, to hupotasso, to Christ. Let me ask you, does the church voluntarily submit to, do we yield to another's advice, and do we place one's power under the authority of another? Yes or no? Absolutely we do. We're called to do that. We submit to Christ. The church, the people of the church submit to Christ. That's what we're called to do. But then verse 24 goes on to say, and in the same way, wives should hupotasso, should submit to their husbands. Wives, in the same way you're called to, as our definition says, voluntarily submit to, yield to another's advice, and place your power under the authority of another, in your case, your husband. That's what you're called to do. And it's, if you think about it, it's not just wives that are called to hupotasso, to submit. We're all called to submit at some level. Let me show you what I mean. Turn over to 1 Peter, you're in Ephesians 5, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Right above verse 13, there's a heading. What does your Bible say as the heading? Anybody? Loud. Submission to authority. Right? That's what this whole passage is about. It's going to start like this in verse 13. Talking about submitting to the government. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. You know who the emperor was at the time? Nero. You know how evil Nero was? He had his own mom executed. This is a bad guy. Peter says, be subject for Nero's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to Nero as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Drop down to verse 18. Employee-employer relationship. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Thankfully, we don't have servant and masters in this country anymore, and that's a good thing. But let's use modern-day vernacular. Employees, be subject to your employers or your bosses with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Whether you have a good boss or you have a bad boss, we're called to be in submission to them. And then finally, drop down to 1 Peter 3.1. Passage continues. The chapter breaks are something that men put in. The passage is the same. Just like those two relationships to government, to employers, it says, likewise, in the same way, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Stop there for now. We'll come back to this passage. But likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. We're all called to submit. It's when we refuse to submit, that's when problems begin to arise. I want to talk about some of the potential consequences in these three areas when we don't submit. First, we talked about 
to the government, governing authorities? What are some consequences when we don't submit to governing authorities? If it happens out on the road, it could be a citation or a ticket, right? Posted speed is 60 and you're doing 80, good chance you're going to get a ticket because you didn't submit to the law of the land which says the posted speed is 60, you need to drive 60 or less. Ticket, citation. Something worse than that, some other crime that you commit, you could be arrested. Could end up in jail, end up in federal prison. I know yesterday there was an execution in Georgia. The day before that, there was an execution in Texas. They like to execute people in Texas. And uh, that, if the crime's bad enough, you get executed, right? Those are potential consequences. As far as the employee-employee relationship, you refuse to submit to your boss. It's going to be reflected in a bad annual evaluation. Can I introduce somebody tonight? My engineer is here, right here, that works with me. Andy Robertson, his wife Christy, right here. And uh, <clears throat> guess, what, guess what I had to do yesterday? I had to give Andy his annual evaluation, <laughs> right? Thankfully, he's a good employee. He got a good annual evaluation. But one of the consequences of not submitting to your employer or to your boss is a poor annual evaluation. It might end in suspension. We've seen that go down, have we not, Andy? Suspension, employees and suspended without pay. We've seen that happen. Demotion from your position. Salary reduction, seen that happen. And finally, it's bad enough, termination could be fired. We have no problem with that. Most of us say, yeah, I absolutely need to submit to the government, absolutely need to submit to my boss. I understand the consequences if I don't. But sometimes, gals, we can take lightly and see when it comes to submitting to her husband, we see these things as optional. I just want to talk about what some of the potential consequences of not submitting to your husband as head of the home are. One, we know there's going to be, and maybe you've experienced this, lack of harmony in the home, strife, arguing, because remember, there can only be one head, and it's not your place to usurp the authority your husband has as God-given authority as the head of your home. And we read that in our passage in Ephesians 5. That leads to separation and divorce. Pastor Elliot and his counseling, have you seen that? Have you seen some of that? Absolutely can lead to separation and divorce. Another thing that's terrible, I don't think we take into account nearly enough, is you know if you have kids, your kids are watching, and they're seeing my parents that profess to know Christ, are they fulfilling their God-given roles? Is my, is my mom, is my dad? And so they're watching. Are you being a good example or a poor example to your children? And finally, most importantly, it'll be outside the perfect will of God for your life because, again, this isn't man's opinion. This is God's design. Jesus said in Luke 6.46, if you want to jot that down, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So ladies, let's stay in the perfect will of God and also avoid the consequences. And we can do that when we put it this way. Number one on our outline, embrace your God-given role as a submissive wife. Embrace your God-given. That's the key. God gave this role to you. It's a blessing. Embrace it. Your God-given role as a submissive wife. And here's where you might throw a flag on the play and say, okay, I, I get what you're saying in a general sense. I get that. And I'm sure for the wives in here that are married to godly husbands who fulfill their role as the leader of their home, it's easy for them to submit. But Scott, you don't know my husband. Matter of fact, some of you might be saying, my husband's not even a Christian. So he's not loving me the way Christ loves the church. He has no intention to. Others might be saying, yeah, my husband professes to know Christ, but he really struggles to love me and to lead me. 
So your question is, where is the clause in the Bible that says I don't have to fulfill my role as a submissive wife if my husband's not doing his part, he's not fulfilling his role? You know there's a verse, there's a clause that says exactly that, so you're going to be let off the hook. Let's turn to it. You're already in 1 Peter 3? You're off the hook. Here it is. 1 Peter 3.1. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands unless they're an unbeliever or unless they're not fulfilling their role. Go ahead and underline the part where it says, unless they're an unbeliever or unless they're not fulfilling their role. There's your, oh wait, it doesn't say that. I'm sorry. Um, what's it say? It says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. First, I want to talk, to the wives in here who are married to non-believers, because we know we do have some people in here in that situation, right? 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, that we just read, says that you can win your husband to Christ. Not by what you say, but by what you do. Twice he uses the word your conduct. Your respectful and pure conduct, to further clarify. And wives, you might be saying, you know what, Scott, you're right. I, I pray for my husband every night to the point of tears. You have no idea how many tears I've shed for my husband to get saved. Well, you know the tool that God's going to use to answer that prayer is your respectful and pure conduct. Have you been doing that with your non-believing husband? Your husband's watching. It says, the passage says, when they see and in the Greek, in the original language, when they see it, it means that they are attentive, I can't even say the word, attentively observing, attentively observing to see if this Christianity thing that you profess is for real. Your husband's watching. When they see. Well, you might as well keep reading. We're in chapter 3. Let's keep going. Let's look at verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Okay. We've, we've talked about this many, many times. Gals, is it wrong to put on makeup, get dolled up, if you will, get all prettied up for your husband? Is that wrong? It's not wrong. When you look at the totality of Scripture, we know it's not wrong. We look at people like Esther. She got dolled up for her husband, right? We know that um, Sarah was a beautiful lady. Ruth was a beautiful lady. A lot of these gals were attractive. It's okay. What Peter's trying to say is, don't let that be what defines you. Don't let that be the defining characteristic of you, just all your, 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 your beauty and your, your hair and your makeup and your clothes. Verse 4 says, but let your adorning, what does define you, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And you go, well, Scott, that's just not me. I've got a, a bubbly, vivacious personality. I don't, well, we're not talking about personality. We're talking about your spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit, that's great if you have that kind of personality. That's awesome. Probably fun to be around. But you have a gentle and quiet spirit. Listen, someone else is watching. Which in God's sight is very precious. When you have that gentle, quiet spirit, that respectful, pure conduct towards your husband, to God, audience of one, he thinks it's precious. That should be motivation right there. Wow. Verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in their husbands used to adorn themselves. Underline the part where it says hoped in their husbands. Nope. Again, it doesn't say that. It says that they hoped in God. 
these continues on and says, these holy women adorned themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And then Peter gives an example in verse 6. He says, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, calling him the head, not trying to usurp his authority in her life. Let me ask you this question. Was Abraham a godly man? Was he a godly husband? Yeah, he was. We know that he was. You read Hebrews 11. He's a great guy, great man of God, great man of faith. Let me ask you another question. Did Abraham have lapses of faith and sometimes fail to fulfill his role as a godly husband? If you've read Genesis, you know that he has. I'm going to give you three examples. You don't have to turn to them. You can just jot down the passages. Genesis chapter 12. Abraham and his wife Sarah are sojourning in the land of Egypt. It says his wife was very beautiful. The Egyptians saw that she was very beautiful. He thought, oh no. What's going to happen here, making an assumption, is Pharaoh's going to take my wife or part of his harem and he's going to kill me. So honey, I need you to just say that you're my sister to save my own hide. Abraham, come on, man. Where's your faith, bro? Um, Genesis 15. God tells Abraham... You're going to have a son. And then he takes him outside and says, matter of fact, look up at the stars. Your descendants are going to be as many as all those stars you see. Cool. Less than a chapter later. Less than one chapter later. Apparently, God's not operating on Abraham's timetable, and he thought he'd help God out. And he takes his wife's servant, because his wife was barren up to that point, takes his wife's servant, Hagar, and sleeps with her and gets her pregnant. Not in the perfect will of God. And then lastly, Genesis 20. Him and his wife are in the land of Gerar, and Abimelech this time is the king. Didn't learn his lesson from the first time. So again, he said, oh, she's going to take, take her and have me killed. So again, you need to say you're my sister. Christians wouldn't do that. They never repeat the same sin twice, right? <laughs> yeah. Say you're my sister again. Based on all that, now you know why 1 Peter 3, 5 says that Sarah's hope was in God, right? Husband made some mistakes, as great of a man as he was. And like Abraham, as great and godly of man as we know Abraham to be, your husband at times will fail to trust God and he will fail to fulfill his role as a leader in your home. But that doesn't let you off the hook. Like Sarah, you still need to regard him as Lord, if you will, as head of the home. So I'll put it this way, number two on our outline, let your submission toward your husband be unconditional. Let your submission toward your husband be unconditional. He doesn't have to qualify for your submission. Let me give you a little disclaimer, though. We're talking, obviously, insofar as he's not asking you to do something unbiblical or illegal, right? It's tax time. If your husband says, honey, the numbers are tight and we're, we're struggling financially, we need to fudge the numbers when we do our taxes or we're not going to make it. God is not calling you to submit to that. That's unbiblical. That's lying. That's stealing. That's cheating. We're talking about the normal day-to-day -day things that your husband, as the head of the home, the way he's leading you. All right. Now, it's time to get down to brass tacks. You say, Scott, I get it. From now on, based on the passage that we read, I'm committing to submitting. Commit to submit. Hashtag on Twitter. Commit to submit. <laughs> I don't have Twitter, but if you do, you can put that. Hashtag submit to, commit to submit. But now, you're on a date night, Saturday night, two nights from now. 
got a little mommy-daddy time, date night, start having a discussion with your spouse about where you're going to send your five-year-old to school next year. And you as the wife feel very strongly that your five-year-old should go to a private Christian school and you've got very good reasons why they need to. This isn't about arguing about what school you go to. This is an example, okay? You feel very strongly that your son or daughter should go to a private Christian school for the following reasons. There's a less worldly influence there. I know that they teach the Bible there because I've talked to my friends and their kids go to chapel and they actually teach the Word of God, so that's a good thing. Uh, There's Christian teachers there. That's a good influence for my child. So I know it's the will of God for my five-year-old to go to Christian school when they start school next year. Your husband's sitting across the table thinking about it, says, you know what, honey? I appreciate what you're saying, but I feel equally strongly that our five-year-old needs to go to public school next year for the following reasons. It's more cost-effective. Private school is expensive. It's not in our budget. We don't have it. Public school is virtually free. Number two, if we can send them to public school, we have an opportunity to be a light in a dark world. Not only our, our, our son and daughter to their other kids, but us as parents to the other parents in the school. And then finally... The school in our neighborhood, I saw the sign out front. It said it's one of those California distinguished schools, so we know they're going to get an excellent education, right? So now you're at an impasse. You feel one way very strongly. Your husband feels the exact opposite way equally strongly. What do you do? And like I said, just use the education thing as an example. It could be anything that's important that you discuss with your husband. Ladies, um, from a man's perspective, and been married 22 years, let me just give you a bit of advice. If you want to talk about something important to your husband, choose the right time and choose the right tone. A date night, that's probably a good time because it's just the two of you, right? And you need to choose the right tone. And let me show you what I mean by that. Proverbs 16:21 says this. Let's write this down. It says, quote, sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Say it again. Sweetness of, sweet, of speech increases persuasiveness. And girls, I'm not talking about manipulation. You should never try to manipulate your husband. Try to get him to see it your way. But there is a value to your sweetness of speech. Proverbs also says that a harsh answer stirs up wrath, right? You know what? i got to brag on my wife for a second. I'll give you an example of a time where she used sweet speech to persuade me of something. This was years ago. My son, who's turning 16 this week, was 8 at the time. And we happened to walk into Dick's Sporting Goods. And guess what they were having at Dick's Sporting Goods? Tackle football sign-ups. Oh, it's on, man. I was so excited. And he had already played a couple years of flag football to that point. And this, as a dad, was my lifelong dream for my son to play tackle football. And I said, hand me the pen. Give me the checkbook. Let's sign him up. They got all the gear there. I'll buy the gear right now. Let's do it. My wife, very graciously and very sweet in her speech, she didn't say, oh, we're not doing that. He's going to get hurt. She she leaned over and she said, honey, I understand that this is important to you. I get that. I know you're from the South. I know you guys are crazy. I get that, right? <laughs> she says, but I am concerned that he's going to get hurt. If you know my son, he's, he's gotten a lot bigger now, but at the time, very diminutive, right? Smaller. And she goes, I'm afraid he's going to get lit up, and I'm afraid he's going to get hurt. Could we possibly wait one more year until he's nine and then play tackle football? 
now she gave me something to think about. And I'm like, oh, man. I can't say I prayed about it because I didn't have time to because we're right there, right? But I, <laughs> I did think about it, you know what I mean? And I said, oh, man. All right, we'll wait one more year. We waited one more year. You can bet the day that nine-year-old rolled around, I, t- I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, it's on. It's, and now she's like crazy football mom. She's crazy in a good way. I mean that in a good way. She loves to watch our son play tackle football. He's in high school playing now, and we love it. But my question is, what if I would have taken her input into account and I would say, hey, you know, I appreciate what you're saying, but no, I'm signing him up right now. Or back to our education illustration. Your husband at dinner on Saturday night says, you know, honey, I've thought about what you said. I've even prayed about it, and I made a decision. Our son or daughter, they're going to go to public school. What then? What's your attitude like, ladies? Because you know, you realize you can submit without submitting, right? <laughs> I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to like it, right? Is that really submission? Remember it says when they see your respectful conduct. That's one of the things, right? And Ephesians 5 later on is going to say wives see that they respect their husband. That's not very respectful. Try that with your boss at work. That doesn't work. And if things end up going south, are you going to have the attitude of I told you so? Here's a quote from one of our very own Thrive ladies who's here tonight. And I don't want to embarrass her, so I won't mention her name, but her initials are Kristen Taft. And uh, she said, in regards to this, when it doesn't go your way as a wife, you have felt very strong one way and you've talked to your husband and it's gone a different way than you were hoping it would go. This was her quote. She said, when that happens, she says, quote, I'm still trusting God and submitting cheerfully even if my words don't change his mind. Let me read that again. I'm still trusting God and submitting cheerfully, even if my words don't change his mind. Let me ask you this. Who is Kristen's, Kristen's ultimate hope in? Is it in her husband, Rob, or is it in God? Rob's a great guy, and I know she trusts in Rob. I understand that, but her ultimate hope is in God. Like the holy women who hoped in God, like 1 Peter 3 said. So what about you girls? Who's your ultimate hope in? Is it in your husband, or is it in God? whether it be tackle football, school choices, whatever. I hear wives say all the time, maybe you've heard yourself say it, that I want to be a Proverbs 31 woman. Not only to see a show of hands, but how many of you gals have said that? I want to be a Proverbs 31 woman. I want to be a Proverbs 31 wife. You know how that passage starts? It starts by saying this. There's a question, and it says, an excellent wife who can find. By the end of the passage, her husband's going to answer the question. In regards to an excellent wife, he says this, quote, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. So wise, may your prayer be this week, by the grace of God, to be an excellent wife, first for your husband, most importantly, for the glory of God. Amen? Amen, let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, and like I said, hopefully we're as gentle as the text allowed tonight. God, uh, I know you love these gals. I know how important they are to you. I know how much you love their husbands. I know how you want, like we mentioned earlier, for us to thrive in our marriage relationships by living according to your word. God, you said you've given us your word as a lamp to our feet to our feet, and a light to our path, God, to direct us. And I mean, if there's anywhere we need it, it's in our, in our marriage relationship. So God, we look forward to hearing about the husbands next week, and we pray that the wives would take this and apply it, not just tonight, not just this week, not just this month, not just this year, God, but until you return, God, or until you call them home. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
All right. Have a great time in small groups. <clears throat>